This is a Together Church podcast, a place to explore meaning, friendship, and faith in Jesus. We'd love you to connect with our community. Find out more at togetherchurch.com.au. For those who haven't met me, my name's Daniel. I'm uh, the minister of Together Church. Uh, And I am continuing a series today called Better Together. Uh, how we can be a healthier, more vibrant church community as we combine our two communities together for this Together 1030 service. And last week I spoke about what it might look like to be better together in community, and today I want to talk about what it looks like to be better together on mission. Uh, And last week, if you were here and you remember, I showed some snapshots of myself a long time ago in Vanuatu uh, at a time where I learnt the value of deep, authentic community and how it shaped my understanding of community in church. And today I have a few more photos uh, pulled out from the archives, again overseas when my wife and I were in Cambodia in uh, the early 2000s. So here we are, uh, with this great flower shirt on, back in, back in fashion nowadays. Uh, so this is in a village near Phnom Penh in Cambodia, a few years after my wife and I were married. And look, before my wife and I even met, we both felt individually called to be missionaries. And so after we got married, we started to pray and ask God where we were being called, where we were being sent. And after a number of God experiences, the serendipitous events uh, where we really felt led by the Lord, we ended up connecting with a missionary group in Cambodia called Interchange. Uh, And they work with the urban poor and they are committed to living simply and remaining long-term to build trust make disciples and long-term local indigenous churches amongst poor slums. Uh, And so we were planning to stay there a month, get to know the missionary team, and then head to the United Kingdom to to work and earn a bit of money, uh, and then to come back long-term to Cambodia. Uh, But God had other plans, uh, as is so often the way. Uh, Our plans didn't match God's plans, and we just walked away realizing that Cambodia wasn't necessarily the right fit for us and it's not that we didn't like the country you know they had some beautiful temples we got to do some sightseeing outside of our month with the missionary team Uh, we saw lots of elephants which uh, Kylie particularly liked and uh, and despite the oppressive heat uh, we got to dance all night you know at two three in the morning which was a whole lot of fun but look after praying and talking with the missionary team I'm cutting it out uh, talking with the missionary team we didn't feel like this was our place and we weren't sure if God was actually calling us and it was really confusing because we had really sensed God leading us to Cambodia. We'd, you know, left our house and sold our stuff and yet now we were kind of stranded. So we we flew to the UK, this is my wife in England, uh, and we spent a year working and travelling, my wife as a nurse and me as a physiotherapist, uh, to try to listen to what God was saying to us about where we were called on mission. And Uh, It took about 18 months and during that time we felt that our hearts were very much drawn back to Australia Uh, and every time we talked about life uh, in Cambodia we ended up excited about what it might look like to reimagine, to replant and to renew the churches in Australia, in our own country. Uh, And we we talked about how lonely and isolated people are in our own world, uh, how stale and irrelevant the church is becoming in some circles and and how desperately we need culturally relevant, uh, spiritually vibrant, missional churches that are led by the Spirit of God to lead people 
into faith. And uh, the aha moment for my wife and I was during a conversation that we had with uh, a, an ex-missionary, a lovely gentleman, an older man who had been in India for 40 years. And he said after praying and talking with him, he said, uh, you are wondering if you return to Cambodia, but your heart is really to reach people in Australia. And we knew it was true. It's one of those moments we're like, ah, God had to send us overseas in order to realize where he was really sending us. So over time, we spent more time praying and discerning about where we were meant to be as overseas missionaries. And we ended up being really clear that we were called to this strange backwater city in the middle of nowhere uh, with strange customs and strange language. Uh, this place that not many people know called Hobart, Tasmania. <laughs> so um, look, while I joke about being an overseas missionary to Tassie, uh, it is true, we did actually come from overseas, and that's not just the Bass Strait, we actually came from the UK. Uh, but we do see Tasmania a bit like Cambodia in the sense of it is a mission field of unreached people. And look, sure, there are churches in most suburbs, but the majority of Tasmanians don't go to church, not at all. Uh, they don't know the gospel, they're not being formed in the likeness of Jesus. And I was talking to a friend just this week, and he was driving past a church building with one of the young people in his youth program. And they, they asked him, they said, oh, hey, what, what is it with the T on those buildings? Uh, like we live amongst a, a new generation who don't even recognize the sign of the cross and what it means, and what it means to be on top of a building. Uh, we are living amongst unreached people. And yet are we thinking of ourselves as missionaries to an unreached group of people? Do you follow uh, and interestingly, you know, people are more likely to recognize pagan symbols nowadays in the younger generations than they are Christian symbols. Uh, and even if they do recognize the sign of the cross, well, they don't really know what it means anymore. Okay? Uh, so when Kylie and I were exploring life in Cambodia, we realized that we would need to look at our culture through the eyes of mission and ministry. So we would need to learn a new language, uh, we would need to understand the history and the stories that shape the people and their culture. We would need to work out what parts of their culture align with the gospel and what parts need to be challenged by the word of God. Uh, we needed to discover what it might look like to share the messages of Jesus in a way that connects with people and their understanding and their hearts and loves and longings and, and ultimately to work out how to be the church for Cambodia so that we could create disciples or apprentices of Jesus. But is that really so different for us here in Tasmania? You see, there are people all around us who think and act differently. There are people who have a different worldview, uh, who have different beliefs. Uh, we need to work out how, to, how the gospel connects with everyday Aussies uh, on the Eastern Shore or wherever we live. You know, we need to work out where the message of Jesus clashes with culture and work out how do we actually navigate that. We need to work out the stories and rituals and, and uh, loves and longings of people around us. What are they really seeking and what is driving them? What's the stuff behind the stuff uh, that is shaping their identity and, and impacting their habits? And then how do we both connect the gospel with their real life stories and needs and become a church for them that leads people to know Jesus? Uh, we need to think and act as missionary people. So Kai and I might have moved to Tassie as overseas missionaries, and we were very deliberate about that. 
Uh, and yet all of us are called to be missionaries. We're all called to mission and to see the world uh, as if we are reaching an unreached people group, even if we've always grown up around people. Uh, and that's challenging for us in the West. We're struggling to see the world that way, but we need to. And this is the paradigm shift that the Spirit of God has led people all around the world into, uh, all across the West as the church dies and closes and shrinks uh, and reduces in number. Uh, God is calling us to be a remnant, to see the world as missionary people and to go out there again with the fire and passion of God to lead people to Christ. Uh, that is the call he's putting on our hearts today. So I think we are all called to be missionaries. We are all called to reach the lost, the least and the last, to share the love and truth of Jesus with those who don't yet know him uh, and to go because people aren't coming to our buildings. Uh, we need to be out there making disciples in order to celebrate and bring people into our community here. It's a challenge. But ultimately, I believe we are not called to do this individually. Uh, in isolation, we are called to do this as a community because we are better together on mission. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. So I want to explore what it looks like to be on mission together, the power of being out there together to take up the wonderful adventure of being arm in arm amongst brothers and sisters in Christ, doing battle uh, in this amazing world around us that Jesus has led us to and leading people to Christ. Uh, mission is costly, it's dangerous, it should be, but it's, it's exciting and it is meaningful. It is the greatest task that we can do. We are called to go. You see it again in the Gospels. Go, go, go. It's everywhere. We are, go, we are to go. We are, we are to go and find the lost sheep. We are to go and make disciples. As we head out as missionaries into the dark places where we live and work, God's Spirit is amongst us. He is animating our lives. He is guiding us in supernatural ways and calling us to be faithful as missionaries. So let me read uh, from uh, Mark chapter 6. 6 to 13, about what Jesus has to say about mission and about going. Uh, and this is what I call the great strategy because it's the great strategy of mission and evangelism. You see this in Mark 6. Uh, you see this expanded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we see this as a pattern in the Gospels, in Acts, in the epistles, in the early church, in the history of missions. This pattern is seen again and again and again because Jesus instructed us in how to do his mission. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony to them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and, um, and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Very powerful passages, extremely important. Uh, it's a condensed version of what we see in Luke 10. Uh, in, in f I run 411 evangelism training, which helps people to know how to share their story, share God's story, and, and reach out to people uh, and make disciples. 
and, and just this section, we usually spend an hour and a half unpacking this passage. So I'm going to be very brief in this short talk. Uh, but firstly, what we see is Jesus sent them out, uh, here we are, two by two, into community. They knew their identity and their authority in Christ, and they had spiritual power to overcome evil in his name. They were instructed to go with nothing, no bag, no money, no food, and that made them vulnerable uh, and totally reliant on God. It's easy to be vulnerable when you're out there amongst other people who have different values and beliefs. Uh, it's, it's hard. And then when they entered a new town, uh, I'm trying to follow my slides, when they entered a new town, they, they would knock on doors and they would say shalom, which means peace in Hebrew, and then they would proclaim the message of Jesus. And many people would reject them. They would be rejected again and again, which is part of the deal, like the seed that you scatter widely and it falls to the ground and bears no fruit. But rather than give up or, you know, worse still, get into a debate with someone who doesn't need a debate, uh, the disciples simply were instructed to move on to shake the dust off their feet and continue. And over time, with persistence, with prayer and listening to the Spirit of God, they would look for and find what uh, the Gospel of Luke says, the person of peace or the house of peace, the God-prepared person who likes you, who listens to you and who serves you. And because the disciples had no food, no money, uh, what were they going to do to eat? They would receive food, kindness, hospitality from the very people that they were sent to reach, from the person of peace who was God prepared to bless them and feed them and serve them in advance. Very different from how we see mission. They would stay in their house, not our house, their house. They would eat their food. They would receive blessings from the person of peace uh, and the resources would be provided for mission in the harvest. The, the resources for mission are in the harvest because the Spirit of God is out there leading us. And when the person of peace is identified, uh, we were, they were instructed to stay, to stay put, not to go from house to house, uh, to invest in the friendship, to pray, to uh, pray for the family, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, fight evil, teach truth, and to lead people into repentance and belief so that basically a new church was birthed, which is how we see the pattern again and again in the book of Acts. And over time, new disciples were equipped, house churches were formed, new missionaries were sent, and the whole thing multiplied. This is Jesus' strategy, and we see the same pattern again and again happening right now in China and India and Africa, and actually in places across the West where people are looking for the person of peace and receiving them on mission. So there's heaps in there, and I know that might challenge some of your paradigms, but I really can't unpack it in detail now. I would encourage you to read the passage yourself and ask the question, actually. Write a column. Put a column in the middle of a piece of paper and say, what does the messenger do and what does the, message, what does the, the person receiving the message do? The, what does the messenger do? What does the person of peace do? And you'll find this pattern listed out. It's amazing. But if I was to pick just one element for today, and it relates to the, the title of my talk, one element uh, that I want you to remember it is that Jesus sent people into, <laughs> two by two in community. Mission almost always happens in community. We are better together on mission. There's a passage where Jesus sent some disciples to get a donkey. He sent them out in pairs. If you can't get a donkey alone, you sure can't do mission alone. We are sent 
together. And when we look at the life of Jesus and we look at how he did mission and ministry, it was almost always done collectively, not individually. You see him eating and praying and learning and serving and weeping and loving with his disciples. You see them traveling together. They experienced highs and lows together. They did mission and ministry together. I love the story about how Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And I've always read it, that he does this incredible miracle and loaves and fishes multiply. But actually, if you read the story in one of the gospel accounts, he gives the food to his disciples and they distribute it out to 5,000 people. And the disciples are perplexed and completely amazed as the food multiplies in their own hands. Jesus does mission through his disciples. We are better on mission together. And throughout the Gospels, uh, you see it. Two by two, Jesus sends them out in threes, in twelves, in seventy-twos, just not alone. And that challenges us in our individualistic culture where we do most stuff alone. Uh, and it's hard to do, and we've talked about that in the previous talk. So this idea, this idea that we are better together on mission is, is not hard to grasp. It's an easy concept. But do we do it? It's taken me years as an intentional missionary to, to Tassie to try to work out what it might look like for us in practice. And that's the hard thing, translating it. Because what works in China or what worked in Palestine doesn't necessarily work here. We, we have to adapt the principles which are always true into the context of mission that God has given us. So how do we do mission together in community here? Just pause for a moment and reflect and think about your experience. So let me tell you a story. Okay, so when Kylie and I first arrived to Hobart as missionaries, we joined a group called Third Place Communities, Now Together Church, and, uh, but, but I worked as a physiotherapist in the hospital. Part-time mission, part-time healthcare. And I remember walking in and touching the front door of the hospital every time I walked in, and I said, God, I'm your missionary today. Please use me. You know, because that was my mindset. I wasn't there to treat patients. I was there you know, to treat patients as an expression of the healing ministry of Christ, but also to be the hands and feet of Jesus where people couldn't see me, see him. Uh, and I would say that prayer, and, and during that year I built some great friendships uh, but we, and it's a big hospital, you know, so, so it was hard to actually work out how do you actually connect, you know, but it was just me. Uh, and, and what I realized is that it was really hard because I was doing it alone. Again, that same problem. I wasn't sent in pairs, it was just me. Uh, and I didn't know how to connect my friends at work that I was connecting with. I was building friendships, but I didn't know how to connect them with my church family or church community. Uh, I wasn't doing it two by two. And then... Uh, we stumbled upon a way of doing mission together that was beautiful. Uh, and it wasn't about coming to a service, it was about dancing to jazz together. So we were young, we were in our 20s, uh, and so were others in our church. And so we committed every Friday to go to Salamanca and dance to jazz together in the name of Jesus. And uh, because we had the same pattern, Week after week, it was easy to invite my work friends, because close by, 
We're always there every Friday night. We did jazz and, and so did they. I don't actually like jazz, but I submitted actually my preference for the preference of the church community in order to reach people. And that's the other thing. And it's not just about what you like. It's actually about being a missionary. And so every, everyone knew that uh, we were in Salamanca at 6 o'clock on a Friday and we built friendships that were shared, which led to eating each other's homes and playing board games and praying with each other and being in each other's lives. Uh, we were the Jesus people and we had lots and lots of our friends connecting with us. Does that make sense? We're doing mission together. And we made lots and lots of mistakes. You know, we struggled to talk about our faith, talk about Jesus uh, in, in very tangible ways. Uh, we, we didn't have a church service or spaces to invite people to, so there was nowhere to really go after jazz. And, um, and I know we didn't pray enough and recognize the spiritual battle when we went out together, but, uh, but it was great. It was an adventure. You know, we did give it a go. With all that we knew, we gave it a go as missionaries to Tassie and and I think this is what mission should be about. It should be giving something a go and having an adventure. Uh, faith is not meant to be boring. When you have no bag, no money, you're out there vulnerably in a place you don't feel comfortable on mission together. It is brilliant. It, it wakes you up. And we need to be woken up in the West as missionaries. Uh, and God came and we encountered him in those spaces. It was beautiful. So... Uh, the secret sauce in my mind, like in Matthew 6, is to go two by two, to go out there together, to create patterns and rhythms where you're meeting each other's friends and intersecting in each other's lives deliberately and consistently, learning to eat and learn and pray and serve together as a community, better together on mission. So if that's a little bit, you know, that's my story, one of my stories, we have many stories about being together on mission. But to finish, I just want to give you just a tangible demonstration of why I think it's better together on mission. And someone showed me this years ago, someone from Tier, Australia, and I'm like, it just, it was like, it's so obvious and it makes sense. So I've actually asked my friend Tim, uh, do you mind coming up to the front? Maybe leave your mask on. I should probably be socially distanced. But um, if you come here, okay. So, so Tim... Uh, as an example, you know, is, my, is my mate from work. Uh, he actually is my mate from work, but, uh, and, and uh, he's not a Christian. He uh, doesn't know what he believes. He's just not very interested in God's stuff. Isn't that right, Tim? Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, we get along well because we're friends, but, um, you know, and, and individual. <laughs> I should have picked someone else, shouldn't I? Uh, and look, individually, uh, I try to talk about my faith a bit, and sometimes he likes it. You know, it's fine. Uh, I try to live a godly lifestyle to demonstrate who Jesus is. Uh, but he basically thinks I'm a nice guy. He, he doesn't, you know, and I happen to like Jesus. So it kind of has limited impact because I'm doing it by myself. Does that make sense? But what if Tim was to meet my missional community? You know, what if he was to meet others uh, in my church community and to start to see Jesus from a different perspective? What if the church was to come to him rather than him have to come to the church? So can I get five more volunteers, five other adults, and maybe, I don't know, some younger people? Can I ask Kate? And yeah, five, six people, come on, uh, maybe come over there so that we've got some room. Uh, another two people, leave your mask on. Come on, one more person, brilliant, excellent. All the people in the front came up. Goodness me, I'm going to have to ask questions to the people at the back. Sorry, yeah, okay, excellent. So, so this, uh, this is my missional community, okay, or, or a few people from my missional community or from my church community, and we eat together every week. 
Uh, we read the Bible and we pray together. Uh, we go bushwalking once a month on the weekend. So it's not a huge commitment, but we're starting to do life together as a family of God. Um, and what if I was to ask Tim, because, you know, he needs some exercise, uh, what if I said, hey, do you want to come and go bushwalking with us on Saturday? And, you know, he likes walking, I like walking, so he comes along and he meets uh, my community and he gets along pretty well with them. Uh, and then what if we were to say, well, we walk every Saturday at the first, on the first Saturday of every month, why don't you come along next month? And he's like, yeah, that would be good. So we start to build a bit of a pattern and a rhythm of community. Maybe we include him on our shared WhatsApp group where we share photos after each walk and we talk about where we're going next and encourage each other and share some prayers. So he kind of experiences some of the banter of community life throughout the week. And then, and then what if we were to meet uh, as our missional community and start praying on one of our uh, weekday gatherings, praying for Tim as well as others we care about, know and love in our relational world. Uh, this is really weird for Tim being here talking about him. You're doing really well. Um, uh, and, uh, and maybe after a while it won't be weird to invite him to a prayer dinner where we say grace and where we talk about you know, God's stuff and where we could even pray for him. You know, he could sh if he shared about his life, we might be able to pray for him or share some of our stories of faith. Uh, it wouldn't be so weird then for him to be curious about faith or church and ask questions and uh, for us to pray with him and and invite him to a service or other events and to include him into the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus, belonging to a community, learning what belief might look like and then being discipled to belong like Jesus. Do you follow? Here's the thing which I think is amazing, okay? That's, that doesn't sound too remarkable, okay? But here's what I see. Uh, when, I, when Tim only saw me, all he is seeing is a very small part of the body of Christ, okay? You know, maybe I'm a hand or a foot or, I don't know, a kidney, but I'm only one small part of the body. Uh, but, but what if he you know, suddenly meets uh, Pippi and, and experiences someone who is deeply compassionate and so experiences the compassion of Jesus? Uh, and then, I don't know, maybe met, met Kate and, and learns about the, the love or the wisdom of Jesus and, and meets Andrew and learns about the creativity of Jesus. Does that make sense? Like, what if, what if he starts to see the different images refracting off of Jesus through us because he sees a lot of us. That's what the power of togetherness is. Uh, and even more so, and this is where I think the real power of community comes in, but what if he watched the way not only we interact with him, so now he's got five or six people he's seeing Jesus in, but way more importantly, what if he sees how we interact with each other? Because there's another dynamic, isn't there? So what if he sees the way we love each other and care for each other? And what I've seen doing mission together is the most powerful witness that unchurched people see is when we fight together. You wouldn't believe it. It's not how we love each other, it's how we fight. Because if we fight fairly, if we forgive readily, if we apologize from the heart, if we are willing to challenge each other and keep each other accountable on things that matter, but with love and respect like we see Jesus doing, uh, that can absolutely transform people's lives. I know people who have come to faith because they said, I never saw a community that fought as good as you fought. <laughs> because we fight in faith, we love in faith, you see the image of God around us. And so when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he is not just talking about unity, he's talking about mission. Because Paul was a missionary, he saw through mission eyes. And the unity of the body of Christ, surrounding people with church, 
is about leading them to know Jesus. Of course we need to be united together and not split and fight and kill each other in order to represent Christ, but it's about the witness that we have collectively to reach those who don't yet know him. Does that make sense? And it is beautiful to do witnessing and mission together, but it's hard to do because not many of us know each other's friends or spend time or create rhythms and patterns where we are truly church on mission out in the community. That is the challenge for us. So, you don't have to go bushwalking once a month uh, to be a missionary. It's just an idea, uh, but there are unchurched people everywhere. Young people, old people, migrants, business people, bike riders, online gamers, people who knit and crochet, people who scooter. We can be creative in the way we love people on mission and in fact I think we need to be as creative as God has made us and to see the beauty and breadth and depth of who is out there so we can reach them with the love of Christ. You know, what if we were to play board games once a month? Open your house with your missional community, your church family and a few other people who don't yet know him. Uh, create community around killing each other and taking over, you know, Europe. Uh, that's how I like to make friends at least. Uh, what if you were to eat dinner once a month? I mean, this is a photo of our big dinner. We eat fortnightly together with our neighbours and friends from the street. Uh, and we knew we'd found some people of peace, actually, because they said, well, we're sick of coming to your house. How about you eat at our house? And we feed you our food and you stay at our houses. And I just said, as long as we can say a prayer before we eat, then I'm happy to do that. So we move the big dinner around. It's beautiful. Uh, what if you were to share common interests, like playing sport or fixing cars, doing photography. There's so many ways you can be creative together. Uh, if you're older and you have less energy, you can still go on God's mission together. You, know, you can build church out there playing cards or building model trains, visiting homes and being around those who need support because they're sick or lonely. Uh, get creative. Here's a photo of one of, the, uh, of our, part of our missional community and uh, it's a photo of us doing outdoor adventure. One of the guys just loves getting out and doing stuff and doesn't really find it easy to just sit and talk a lot. Uh, so he's taken us caving and camping and paddling and canyoning in the last year. Uh, whenever he says, do you want to do something? We're just like, yes. Uh, and the kids love it and I love it. And it's been great to build a wider network of deep friendships with those who aren't involved in our regular church life. Uh, if you have a large workplace, then, then find other Christians in that workplace and start praying together and serving in practical ways. Uh, the City Bible Forum is a great organisation in Tassie that, that literally helps get groups of people together in workplaces to pray for their friends and colleagues at work and to work out how to tangibly serve as missionaries in their workplaces. So whatever you do, however you do it, do it together being intentional about making friends, about meeting each other's friends, about going, about praying, about being on the adventure of being witnesses to Christ as missionaries to the places we are all sent. So will you stand with me uh, as we just listen to what God has to say to us individually? Um, I hope this is okay, but I'd love you to stand and if you're willing, maybe have your hands open in a posture of openness of listening to what God is saying. Uh, you don't have to stand if you're able to. Um, 
But I just believe that God speaks to us as apprentices or disciples of Jesus and he will guide us in what he is saying to us. So Holy Spirit, come. We pray as we head to the Lord's Supper that you will speak to us and do a work in our hearts. We just listen. We listen right now. What is God saying to you in the call to the adventure to be a missionary? You may be being challenged to see yourself as a missionary for the first time uh, here or abroad, to, to, to have an identity as a missionary person. Maybe you're being called to commit to a life of prayer, to start interceding for those who don't yet know Jesus. I actually believe there are people here who God has uh, put a fire in your belly to reach a particular people or to, uh, to, to, to go to a particular place or, or to experience some idea. Uh, is it time to act on this? Has God put a vision in your heart? Are you captured by a vision? Is it time to ask what might it look like to be out together with others, a missional community or whatever you call it, uh, to investigate this? It might even be that you've been fearful as an individual to even share your faith or to, to let others know that you're a believer. Is this something that you need to repent of and ask for boldness to at least be open about your beliefs amongst those who are out there? Or is there other sin in your life uh, that is stopping you from hearing and walking in the ways of God? Just, just Holy Spirit, please speak to us and, and help us hear your voice.